Today on the No City on the Sideline, Dad Podcast, episode number 71. Today we're going to do something different on the podcast. What I mean is, since it's Halloween, I think it's kind of a good time to maybe change it up a little bit. We're going to talk about ghosts, haunted house, government conspiracies next with my guest, author Jenny Deason Copeland. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley, and I really want to say thank you for being here. If the first time, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> if this is your first time, this is going to be a little bit different this time. Next up, my guest, Jenny Deason Copeland, author of many books from fiction to nonfiction. She also wrote a book about mouse keepers, kind of like Elf on the Shelf kind of thing. The reason I brought Jenny on is talk about her haunted house and ghost stories to celebrate Halloween. We'll talk a little bit about government conspiracies. It was a very fun and different kind of interview, different kind of what I normally don't do. Well, let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Oh, Joe, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. One, yeah, I have lived in two haunted houses uh, so far. Somebody said once when I was telling them some of the stories about it, they go, well, why didn't you just move? And I go, what? I just, d- there'll be ghosts there. You know, it's <laughs> like, they find me. I don't, I'm not sitting here like a medium trying to call the ghost to me. You know, I'm not doing any of that. They're just, I'm capable of recognizing when one is here and the spirits use me in a way to help them move on. And uh, so that's my role in life. And one of them is to help spirits that contact me because they need me to help them realize that they, they have passed and uh, do everything I can in my power, um, being of, of the earth, still having a physical body to do things, try to help them as much as I can. So the house I live in right now didn't surprise me a whole lot when I ran into ghosts because I had had a haunted house before and back in the 1970s um, through the 80s and the early 90s in Gross Point, Michigan. When we bought the house, we had no idea it was haunted. And at that time, I was in my 20s and had no idea that I was psychic or ghosts could communicate with me or would seek me out. This particular house that we bought was a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath, 3,600-square-foot little mansion in need of great TLC. So, in essence, we were trying to flip this house. We had successfully flipped another Gross Point house. Uh, In 18 months, we doubled our money and we thought, oh, well, we'll get a bigger house and we'll do this again. The price of the house was okay because the interior hadn't been touched for 40 plus years. Uh, We're talking moth eaten carpet, horsehair matting. But the person we bought it from was a construction company owner who physically put the house back together. The foundation was crumbling in places that this was broken so he fixed the exterior of the house but did nothing to the interior this place had hot pink almost pepto-bismol ceilings in the (laughs) living room up the front steps i it just was despicable so we got it for a good price considering the size of the house well it was just a baby and my ex and i 
uh, moving into this rambling thing. And we first took up, you know, we did one room at a time. We took up the carpet. We did this. We did that. We talked to the neighbors, great neighbors, still friends with them. And they told us a story about the guy who lived there and raised his family of five girls. And that was the only other family that ever actually lived in the house. So we we knew of this fellow who was haunting the house. We come to find out through all the chairs scratching on floors when you're not anywhere in there. There's no one in the room. Um, doors closing on their own. Just all kinds of things that you've heard happen to haunted people who live in haunted houses. You go, what is that noise? What is that noise? Well, it turns out that this guy had been an engineer for the Hudson Car Company, and he was the engineer for the car, the terraplane. And we found some artifacts and uh, some of the cupboards and pictures of the the, him standing over a drafting table with his Hudson terraplane uh, draft work. So we knew who this guy was from talking to the neighbors and talking to other folks. And we now had realized we were the only second family to ever live in the house. His family of five girls and us with one baby girl and the construction company people didn't actually live in the house. They just repaired it. And the guy who built the house was an architect who in the 19, it was built in 1928, who was building the house for himself. So there were all kinds of wonderful little features in it that an architect would do just for him. But he lost all his money in the stock market crash and he never lived there. Oh, wow. So we were the second family to move into this house. And the previous owner um, died up, up north at his deer camp. Luckily, he did not die in the house um, when he was 82. And the neighbors told a story that they he would joke with them. He says, hey, I'm going to outlive that wall behind, in the backyard. You just count my words. And there was this beautiful four-foot-tall brick wall that circled this absolutely stunning backyard in its time. I'm sure it was stunning. When we got it, it was all overgrown and we had to, you know, re-bring re it back. But it was a sunken backyard and in the middle was a stone garden with a big bird bath. It was just gorgeous. And in its day, I'm sure it was just stunning. Well, he died it at the deer camp and he had, and the stone wall fell six oh. months later. Oh, wow. So the neighbors talked about, well, you know, um, this this guy was good for his word. <laughs> and we kind of, you know, looked at one another because we'd already been hearing the chairs scratching on the floors and the this going on. And the baby's nursery was right above this little den off the side. It was a beautiful room. And for the two of us, that's where we put the TV and had a little fireplace. And it was right under the nursery. So we could hear if the baby got out of bed. So we'd be sitting there watching TV, and I would hear the footsteps in, in, in the nursery. And i go, oh. So we would take turns running up and down the steps. But the baby was always sound asleep in her bed. So uh, I, you know, she was still in a crib. I mean, how, how could she get out? But we heard these footsteps, so we'd always go up, make sure the baby hadn't learned how to climb out of her crib. Finally, the husband would look at me, and he'd go, you have what I'm going to call mama ears. You're <laughs> hearing things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I heard footsteps. So, yeah, the 
doors banging shut with no one around, the 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 chairs in the dining room are always being moved around and they they just freak us out. We go, there's nobody in there. Yeah, but you just got to go look, you know? What does your kids think about it? I mean, growing up like that, because you, you're more sensitive, I think more apt to or sensitive to it. What does your kids think about it? Well, um, as the story goes, by the time the kids, uh, the second child showed up, I had already told the ghost to go when he did. Um, and that was because I was rocking my daughter in that nursery and the door would close by itself and I had the light on in the hall and I didn't like sitting in a haunted house in a dark room by myself with a baby. And so I would go and I'd get up and I'd open the door and baby would wake up again and sit back down on the rocking chair and rock her back to sleep and the door would shut. Stop it. So I opened the door up again and I looked down the hall and I got this overwhelming feeling that he was going to show himself to me. And I said, no, sir, you will not show yourself to me. I am pregnant with my second child. I'm afraid that you might scare this baby right out of me, and I just don't want that to happen. It's our house now. We're not hurting your house. It's our house. It's not yours anymore. You must go, sir. You must go, sir. You must go. My dear friend Karen, who had been terrorized by this ghost every time she came over because she felt him so dearly, um, we would exchange weekends at their house or our house who was fixing a, a meal and and they it was their turn to come to our house two weeks later. And she walks in the door, she's there about 15 minutes and she goes, how did you get him to leave? <laughs> wow. And I said, Karen, I just told him three times it wasn't his house. He needed to go. And he did. And I'm glad that you're verifying that for me, Karen, because I thought I'd gotten rid of him, too. And she says, oh, yeah, he's gone. And he never came back. But what he had done to us, the most scary thing ever happened to me in a haunted house, was one night we were debating with my ex over supper, something that had happened in the house. And that's a longer story. Um, and you know, he, he, he kept saying, there's no such thing as ghost. And we kept going, yes, but we can prove it this week. We can prove it that way. And he said, no, there's no such thing as ghosts. And he'd said it for the third time. We're all standing out in the kitchen. And a big blue ball of electric lightning, ozone-smelling thing burst into the kitchen sink. Oh, wow. The lights go dead. And he, the ex goes, oh, it's just a, a, a fuse. I'll replace it. We burn off a fuse. We had burned out hundreds of fuses. Never did it. Was it accompanied by a blue lightning in the sink thing? <laughs> And so all of us are on his case about stop saying there's no such thing as ghost. It happened when you said that three times. Stop it. And he said, what do you mean there's no such thing as ghost? And it, again, this blue ball of electrical fire was in my kitchen sink and the lights all went dead. The next sound I heard was our dear friends yelling, call us in the morning if you're still alive and the door <laughs> slamming. <laughs> They're out of there. They're out of there. They were out of there. Well, I wonder what Q2 is. Um, have any experience besides the haunted houses? Like, I gave you an example of something I, I, I can't explain what happened, but I, I was at the um, New England Patriots game and I was walking down the stairs down the, the leaving the game and I was, I was going pretty fast and I was like three steps from one landing and I heard some, like a voice in my head and it wasn't mine. It wasn't the person behind me because the first time I knew him, you're going to fall. You're gonna fall. Like I was like somebody, like somebody speaking in my head. Like you're gonna fall. And then second I happened, I fell. And it was oh my. 
And I think I had my body braced for it because these are cement stairs. I got up and walked away, but, um, it was weird. It was a weird experience. It's almost like somebody like a, like some, like a, a ghost or a spirit or somebody was trying to help me out that time. Yeah, I think they do. Um, I was haunted in, in Europe a couple of times. Um, my favorite story was in Westminster Abbey. I am a fond of Handel, and I'm standing in Poets Corner, and Handel, if you've been to Westminster Abbey, there's a 3D relief of him standing up about, oh, 15, 20 feet off the floor, and big marker, and here's Mr. Handel, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and I thought, I'm looking at, and I got this tingling, you know, the, the hair standing up in the back of your neck of the whole bed, goosebumps, and, and I'm going, oh my goodness, this handle are you talking to me are you trying to communicate with me what's going on and i got this this message in my head that said look down it's not handle it's me and i look down and i'm standing on dickens grave oh wow and he said honey keep writing <laughs> what kind of reaction do you get from people yourself when you tell these kind of stories because some people not it's not always positive Oh, no. Some of my friends go, oh, you're just crazy because they wrote my thesis uh, for my master's on ghosts and uh, tried to explain to people that there are AM, FM radios and there are AM radios. And the AM radios only can pick up the senses that their five senses give them. People like me, psychics, pick up on vibrations or energy it's already out there, just like the FM signal is out there. That energy is out there. But if you're only an AM radio, you can't pick up on it. So a psychic like you, you pick up on things, or myself, um, we have that material or ability, uh, wiring, whatever you want to call it, to also pick up not only what our five senses give us, but what is outside of those five senses. We are picking up energies that other people can't feel, but we do. And that can be any one of our five senses can be heightened. And with some psychics, all of them are heightened. So you get to a point where you just accept the fact that, I'm sorry, I pat my friend who says, you're either crazy or I have to believe you, Jenny. I pat him <laughs> on the shoulder and I go, well, you already know I'm crazy, so don't worry about that. But I, I, I'm sorry, you're just an AM radio and I can't fix you. You'll never probably be able to pick up on that FM vibration that's out there. Now, some people um, believe that if you learn to meditate, that you can improve that psychic ability to pick up that FM signal. And I have been a meditator for most of my life, and I do believe that as I age, I'm I'm getting a little better at picking up on things when they're there. Well, it's funny. It's like I'm I'm not I'm not truly religious, but I I pray and I do my my I do my gratitude the more I'm starting to do that. Come on, my pastor when I talked, and one time I'm driving, I'm having a bad day. I just I just finished doing my um, you know gratitudes and stuff, and I'm in the car. All of a sudden, I see a truck like one of the advertised believe or a license place says believe. Uh, I'm like, um, that has to be, it can't be just coincidence. It cannot be coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that that shows that you're picking up on the signals that are out there. There's all kinds of things um, that give us input. Let me, let me be clear if I can be. If you believe Einstein mm -hmm. equals MC squared, 
you see that we are, our body is matter. It's over here with the M on the right-hand side of that equation equals MC squared. All the things that you and I are doing right now, me moving my hands to, to gesture, even though there's no one here to <laughs> see my gestures, my voice, um, the, the wind out, outside, all of those things are energy. They're on the right side of the equation. Your thoughts are pure energy. Your creative cre- uh, thoughts are, are also just things that are, are out there that don't have matter associated with them. So if you are able to look at the human existence as either on the left side or the right side of the equation, the only way that energy, it doesn't disappear, it doesn't go away. It, it dissipates, but it doesn't go away until it's sucked back into a black hole or plants turn energy into matter. But otherwise, all this energy is still out there. It's interesting. You see a thesis on on ghosts. What is mm-hmm. it? What was the study? What was the field of study to do the thesis as ghosts? Um, metaphysical psychology, mm-hmm. and the degree is in philosophy. Philosophy. Oh, yeah. what kind? Of, what kind of? Um, how did you get them here? From there to writing up a paper about thesis about a ghost. Well, I looked at what ghosts are, and that's um, looking at the Akashic record, and the Akashic record is the book of everything that's ever happened in the universe ever mm-hmm. believe you in god or not the bible mentions this book the book of life um but other people call it the akashic record edgar casey calls it that there are many people that call it the and the thoughts on the akashic record are called the akasha and part of the study that i did for the thesis opened my mind up there's a door there that will never shut after the reading these books by Irvin Laszlo, and it's called The Connectivity Hypothesis is the name of one of his books. And the other one is The Science of the um, Akashic Field. In there, he talks about the universe um, in rules like e equals mc squared, that the energy is on a vector field and it travels the speed of light. But matter can never travel the speed of light because then it would deform horribly, as Einstein explained, as he did his thought experience experiments going into a black hole and what would happen to a, a body of mass trying to go faster than the speed of light. But information is another topic, and that Information travels around the universe on a scalar field at no speed. It's instantaneous. And that is explained by saying that the universe is a hologram. Mm-hmm. And what, if you're familiar with the way a hologram works, every piece of that picture in a hologram has the whole picture stored on it. Interesting. So if the universe is storing information on a hologram, then if you change something, it's instantaneously known everywhere in the universe that Jenny just said, Jenny just said. That's interesting. Interesting um, into way of looking at it. Um, the hologram, the light, and everything like that. One thing I want to ask you, just changing a little bit here, how do you feel about, you know, can you feel the ghost and in, dharma in and being a little bit, you know, I would say, I would say you're a psychic. About all the ghost stories, like TV shows, like, Ghost hunters and all those things. How do you feel about those? Well, 
Well, my feeling is the ghosts that contact me have a need, especially mm. the house I'm in right now, that I had to help him with so he could move on. The house and the, the ghost in the uh, Ghost Point house contacted me. He had a need. I was to help him move on. I did it with less empathy or sympathy than I have now because I was scared, scared by him. I shouldn't have been, but that was my problem. The guys who do these ghost hunter things are out there pestering ghosts. And I think it's almost abusive behavior <laughs> to, to, to kind of like taunt them the way they do. It's like this, this soul is in trouble already because it, number one, might not know it's dead and needs to move on. It's held there for some horrible reason or a horrible event that may have happened. And so to taunt it brings back the, the memories of what they went through, what what the appropriate, in my word, my opinion, the appropriate response is to try to help them move on, not taunt them. So I, I have a little problem with that. You need to respect these souls. They were people. They still are conscious souls, and you shouldn't pester them or taunt them. But the other thing I want to ask you about is the book, Ayon Nix, in the West Henneman or something like that? Tiananmen West. Tiananmen yes. West, yes. Mm-hmm. What, what is that a book about? It is my study of the mind of Richard Nixon. In there, he, in my research, I found out that in, in his autobiography, uh, the version, 1990 version, and the title of that autobiography was RN, huge book, Waiting Yourself Through It. On page 457, here I was trying to prove that Nixon ordered the Kent State Massacre. That's what I started out trying to prove. He admitted that he did. On page 457 of his autobiography, he's talking to Kissinger, and Kissinger's Harvard friends were picking on him, saying, how can you stay in that administration? Look what they just did. And so Kissinger walked in, kind of whining to Nixon about, poor me, poor me. And Nixon said, no, Henry, don't worry about that. I take full responsibility. I, I, I did that. Then yeah. he goes on to explain his motive, which is nebulous at best, Joe. He goes for foreign policy considerations. So then my whole research bent was to try to figure out what those foreign policy considerations might have been for him to be able to say it was okay to kill U.S. children, college students, on U.S. soil. And I came up with a theory. So we've we've gotten to the point now that I was want to make sure people understand what Tiananmen was. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I am a conspiracy theory researcher. So even dating back to right after the Kent State Massacre occurred on May 4th, 1970, Neil Young wrote a song, Ohio, that talked about Nixon with his tin soldiers coming. We're finally on our own. So... Early on, people were blaming Nixon for it. He acted like the college students who were protesting were his enemies. Mm-hmm. And he needed to send a message to the North Vietnamese that, yes, he was the madman that everyone said he was. He had this madman theory even before he was elected. And the madman theory was, if you don't come to terms and help me end this Vietnam War peaceably, you know, come to the Paris Peace Talks list to get this thing diplomatically resolved. We're, we're out of here. And let us hold our head up high. I'll go nuclear on you. <laughs> and 
the North Vietnamese said, you could no more go nuclear on us. With all the protests out there, you would destroy America. You can't do that. So he was sending a message to the North Vietnamese that, yes, I am a crazy man. I'm going to kill college students. That's, that's interesting because, you know, nowadays, I mean, you listen to that about the president of the United States. And nowadays you hear, you see all these shootings um, and everywhere. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not against guns. I like guns and, and they're appropriate when they're appropriate use. But you see all the violence and stuff, too. Like the most couple of years ago in, the, in Las Vegas. And there's no way there was a one lone gunman shooting out the window at the concert. There's no way. You always wondered if there's government behind it or something. For, for certain reasons, I mean, you don't know. I mean, Nixon saying he did shoot. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, the college students. It's just, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there's some things to make you go, hmm, maybe, or that's interesting. Well, it, in the in the book, I even compared the most homicidal um, presidents because I wanted to see. Well, he, I, I have a roster of how many Nixon had, had admitted to or his compadres admitted to. And was he the worst? And I came up with the answer, no, he wasn't the worst. Um, probably the worst was Andrew Jackson, mm-hmm. who ordered the Trail of Tears, even though the Supreme Court said that he was not allowed to take the land from the Cherokee in South Carolina and Georgia so that plantation owners could grow more cotton. But being commander-in-chief, he ordered his army to do it, and they did. Oh wow! I mean, that's that's. I mean, you only hear about that about all those bad things happened to the Indians on back in, way back in history, and it was awful. It was awful. Yeah, and this was as early as the eighteen. What is the trail here? Was the eighteen thirties or eighteen forties? I'd have to look up the exact date. But yeah, it. Took, they were dressing in Western clothing. They had their own. They had stores. They had shops. They had their own slaves. Sadly, but true. Mm-hmm. So these were very successful people, and they just took their land away from them and marched them out to Oklahoma. Wow. Um, that's interesting. I mean, it makes you think. It makes you think. We always, <laughs> it's not always what it seems to be. You know, and my theory of life is, so don't just be mad about something. Do something about it. And I'm part Cherokee um, on my dad's side. And so I took take the trail of tears for, for, you know, it pains me to think that some of my ancestors might have suffered through that and so i developed an amendment i call the trail of tears amendment Mm -hmm. and i've given it to a a couple folks that are running for president and i'm hoping that they will do something uh and what is stated in the amendment is that you should be a president or a general who disrespects an order from the supreme court should be found in contempt of court and there should be a sentence responsible for that or applied to that person if they have done what the court says you should not do. And in this case, it was Andrew Jackson, the president, ordering the army generals to you know, go out and do the trail of tears. That army general, now, if we could get an amendment put in and approved, would be facing jail time for disrespecting the word of the court. And we have nothing in place for that today. 
No, it's very interesting. And uh, I'm always making wonder because they don't always tell us everything. We don't know everything. There's things going on behind the scenes we do not know about. Right. Uh, I guess I'm um, wrapping up. I guess um, maybe last thing about one about ghosts and you know your spirits and the stuff like that. Absolutely. I need to tell you about my house I'm living in right now. It's 190 years old. The land was bought in 18. 18- 26 from the Northwest Territory, and they came through and they did a census when Michigan became a state in 1837, and they found Mrs. Harris living here in a house with a parcel of children. So we figure a parcel must be five or six, because otherwise they would have said a couple or they would have said a dozen. So um, can't find a definition for parcel anywhere. We know that this um, house was part of the Underground Railroad just from some of the construction items in the house. And when I went through the house, the real estate people did not tell me that it was nicknamed by them the Silence of the Lambs house. Oh, wow. And the reason that it was nicknamed that is there's a cistern in the dirt floor basement under the kitchen. The rest of the basement of the house is field rock, which you would expect in in hand-hewn timbers for, for the actual post downstairs. But this part of the basement that's still a dirt floor has a cistern in it much like the coffin house if you're familiar with the underground railroad Mm -hmm. uh, in indiana they had uh, reconstructed that house and put it back and the cistern collected rainwater through the uh, gutter system into the basement and they stored enough water so that the federal marshals would not be able to tell how much water you were using from the outside pump and that was important to them because if the federal marshals came in and just because they were, were suspicious that you were using too much water for the three people that lived there, then they thought, oh, you could be storing slaves. You could be harboring slaves. And therefore, the Underground Railroad folks had this cistern collecting rainwater. So the federal marshals would have no reason to come in. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is that – If you were running the Underground Railroad, you were a felon. Mm -hmm. You were going to have your property taken away. You could be thrown into jail. You could have your your assets impounded. You were literally breaking a federal law, which was the Fugitive um, Slave Act. The Fugitive Slave Act said you must return the slave to the southern owner. So the Underground Railroad was trying to get people over to Canada. And that's why Detroit was a big This whole area is big on Underground Railroad. A lot of the older houses, I think the settlers came out here with the sole purpose of of trying to protect uh, runaway slaves. So the federal marshal would come in and, and investigate your house if they had a suspicion. And when I went through the basement, there was this door that was closed by this drill bit. And I pulled the drill bit out and I opened the door and there was a bare bulb a lot of spider webs and I reached through the spider webs to pull the string on the bare bulb in the ceiling and tentatively uh, kind of walked in and, you know, I, I'm going to buy this place. I got to check this creepy spot out. <laughs> so I go in there and I look and I see this broken down cistern and some other pieces of junk in there that the previous owner was storing. And I turned around to go back out the door and the, the slave ghost was standing there looking at me. He was so upset. He was so sad. 
And I pulled the light, the string, turned the light off, walked out, put the drill bit back to hold the door closed, went up the steps, found the realtor and said, I'll buy it. It's haunted. (laughs) We went and we um, to her office and I signed a full price agreement, came back and went home to Ohio. I was driving 92 miles one way to work. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was a horrible commute. And this house was two miles away from work. I needed to buy this house. But I, she called me and she said, there's another offer, Jenny, and it's full price. You, If you re- remove your contingency, you can have the offer. And I go, no, I can't remove the contingency because one of my rules of life was no two car payments and no two house payments ever. You won't go bankrupt. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I had a house, that house in Ohio. I still owned and it had been on the market over 18 months. The whole time I was working in Europe for a year, mm-hmm. that house had been on on the market and I couldn't sell it. So I told the real estate lady, I said, I can't remove the contingency, but when that deal falls through, not if, you call me, I still want to buy it. Mm-hmm. So she calls me two weeks later and she says, Jenny, the deal fell through. They didn't like the inspection report about the roof. I go, yeah, that needs a new roof. No problem. Mm-hmm. I'll, 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 do, I'll deal with that. And she says, so can you remove your contingency? I said, I don't have to. My house sold in Ohio. Oh, wow. In that two weeks... The deal that the ghost had made with me in the basement was, you're a writer. You tell my story, and I'll make sure you get that house. And I said, we're on. I'll, I'll do my best. So all the hauntings that happened in this house were him trying to tell me his story. And he even got the pets involved. One morning, I get dressed for work. Mm-hmm. I come out, and here's the cat sitting there just kind of, like, whoa, something's going on. And I go, what's wrong? And she looks at me and she looks down at the downstairs. And that's when I heard the water, this huge rushing noise of water. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's 190 plus years old. Um, something's gone wrong. So the cat leads me down the steps, make sure I'm following her the whole way. I get down the steps and she turns through the dining room and heads straight for the downstairs bathroom and then sits down far enough away for me to get into the bathroom mm-hmm. without her being in the in the way and the, the whole time there's this huge rushing water sound like a, a waterfall was going off in my bathroom <laughs> and i walk in there the minute my foot crossed the threshold of that bathroom the water stopped oh wow there was not a drop out of place anywhere in that bathroom and the cat looked at me, and it's like, nap time, and walks off. <laughs> I love cats. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I went to work. I mean, that way I knew that his story had something to do with water. And eventually, through all the, the hauntings, pieced together that he drowned in the cistern hiding from the federal marshals who were going through the house. Oh, wow. And I think I told the story um, well. I had a little column called I'm a Believer that mm-hmm. I would write up in the me- local Mensa newsletter. And so every month I would tell what had happened that month, uh, hauntings of the house and how I was interpreting it. And that was the vehicle I used to tell his story was this column called I'm a Believer. And he's gone. Now, that's not to say there aren't other ghosts around here because occasionally things still do happen. But that ghost I have safely sent on his way. So. 
That's interesting. That's a very interesting story. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with the whole uh, the aspect of the, how they got the water to the slaves in the, in the basement. That, that's very, very um, ingenuous. And I mean, very good way of doing it without getting caught. Because if they're looking at you and following you, make sure you're not pumping enough water. I thought it was pretty interesting. And do you know that today a lot of states have laws that say you cannot capture rainwater? No, I didn't know that. No. Yes, because they knew the federal marshals knew that this was happening and they made it against the law and those laws are still on the books in some states because it's interesting some people that give out these big buckets like they'll use like big bu- huge like barrels collect rainwater to like water your plants and water your yes, flowers i do that yeah. <laughs> and just conserve water because you know some people want to conserve I mean, it's a good idea to conserve not waste the water Right. Well, they, I want to say thank you, Jenny. Well, how they can connect you and they want to talk more about this stuff and, and find out more what you do. Ah, um, they can go to our website, www.crazyredheadpublishing.com, and they can find all of our products, all of our books, and uh, sometimes there are links to podcasts out there you might want to pick up on as well. Also, we have a channel on YouTube. If you search on Jenny Deason Copeland, you can watch um, a video on how to play our game, Saki, which was a finalist for Mensa Mind Games 2019 this year. We were really thrilled to be a finalist. Great family card game. Um, if you can count to 12, you can play our games. <laughs> the other things that are out there under that channel, Jenny Deason Copeland, are... And decent is spelled D-E-A-S-O-N in case that – if you go to our website, you'll find all that. But just to make it easy on you, <laughs> the um, you will find book trailers for every one of our books also out there. You can download some freebies off of our website, coloring books to go with the kids' books, etc. So have fun with that. Yeah. Well, all the solve links will be in the show notes for this episode. Again, I want to thank you, Jenny, for being on the podcast today. And I was very, um, very interested. I learned a lot today. Thank you. Okay, Joe, thank you ever so much. Wrapping up for this episode, I really want to thank Jenny for being a guest on the podcast. It was kind of fun. You can find more about her over at crazyredheadpublishing.com. You can find all links in the show notes over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 71. Please reach out. Leave a comment. Tell them about your ghost stories. That'd be kind of fun. It'd be different. All the comments in the show notes or leave it in the um, wherever the we listen to the podcast. You can find my call, my contact information at nosittingonthesideline.com slash contact. Final thoughts on this episode, I said it was fun. It was different. Something I had to lose your cover on this podcast. You know, I can tie it into parenting. It's like trying something new. Especially for someone with food. You know, because, you know, different kids, uh, kids just eat nowadays. It's like chicken nuggets, macaroni and cheese. And they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. So this is kind of like a little bit out of my comfort zone. It was really cool to have this really interesting conversation with Jenny. Try something new. Ha, see, I tied it in. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Tell them how much you love them. And try not to eat too much candy on, on Halloween. Take care. God bless. See ya. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media.